0: Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Missouri and an asex certified sex therapist. You can find me at com. Now today, I'm interviewing Nicholas Mayo- Ither. Ither, thank you. I'm like, oh my God, he told me it earlier and I'm telling gonna screw it up.
1: <laughs> it's ridiculous. We picked a Latin last name. Uh,
0: well, okay. You pi- oh, you picked it together? Or? We did. Why'd you pick Ither then?
1: Um, Well, so we wanted to start an original name because um, two men starting a family tree like is something that is new in the United States. Mm -hmm. And to have a last name that when you look back at its origin would be two men, that's kind of exciting. Um, So we decided to have an original last name. And of course, all of the ones that I came up with were nerdy, Um, really, really nerdy. Many from uh, Tolkien-esque kind of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from your literature background? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Whatever works. Eventually, uh, it came down to, um, you write a list, I will choose from it. And so I wrote out a list of all the names. Oh, that you thought...
0: wrote the list
1: and he had to choose. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a list of all the names that I thought were appropriate, but their English uh, meanings next to them. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Ither means from the ether. Oh.
0: Oh, cool. Interesting. Well, I should actually tell people who you are outside of that too because he's like a yeah. professional, but I just thought it was an interesting <laughs> name already. So Nicholas is um, he says he's one of the most versatile sex geeks out there working with many populations including LGBTQIA+, HIV+, autism, and Down syndrome. Um, and what's a website for you just in case people want to find him? Thank you for the plug.
1: Um <laughs> www.empoweredcenter.com All right. Well, so tell everybody what you do and why you're awesome. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you. Uh, So I am a board certified and state licensed behavior analyst. I'm one of very few in the world who is focusing on sexual behavior. Mm
0: -hmm. I
1: am the only one in the world who is pursuing a dual certification as a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, I am under supervision for sex therapy. Uh, I'm four continuing education hours away from getting all of my education Woohoo! requirements for sex therapists. <laughs> um, here in the state of Missouri, of course, licensure is not really available for sex therapy directly. Um, mm-hmm. So I have been uh, practicing um, sex therapy under supervision.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everybody knows you get licensed in your state, you get certified as a countrywide sort of thing, but it's not individual state stuff.
1: Correct. Mm-hmm. So working on that... Um, And I started Empowered, a center for sexuality uh, three and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. well, almost three and a half years ago. Um, and I designed it to be an agency with interdisciplinary skills um, being presented to all populations. Mm-hmm. So, regardless of if the person wants sex therapy, applied behavior analysis, um, couples therapy, couples counseling, trauma counseling, um, we offer all of that in one location.
0: So, for people who don't know what applied behavioral analysis is, what's so important about behavior, and why you know why you do what you do, essentially. For sure. Um, so,
1: uh, <laughs> Applied Behavior Analysts, we're the nerds of the therapy world. Um, we, we are. Uh, we're very data-driven. Um, we're uh, very empirically backed. Um, everything has to be very, very, very uh, clear-cut, objective, tangible, observable behavior change.
0: Like, this happened. Did it work? No. No, try this. This, 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 and you know, go back well, and forth. Yeah, and,
1: and we also can't utilize self-report. So self, can't. Not as our main measures. Interesting. So self-report can be included, but it cannot be your main measure. I have to actually see the behavior changing. Otherwise, I can't say that it did. Okay. Um, we uh, also, in behavior analysis, it's very standard for us to be constantly taking behavior data to have objective um, reporters taking data to help the client. Um, and then we are graphing and updating those, uh, all of that data on at least a monthly basis um so it's like having it's almost like the helicopter parent of the uh of the therapy world like we're we are like taking over everything for a minute to figure out exactly what all factors environmental and uh internal are coming together to create the behavioral motivation and behavioral outcomes that you're getting and then we say okay do we need to adjust your motivation do we need to adjust your approach um how can we get you to where you need to be? So it's always client-centered, client-driven goals, um, and the clients actually determine what the treatment plan will end up looking like based on their comfort levels, their abilities, um, what behaviors they can engage in. For instance, uh, if so, so, for let's use this as an example. Okay. Um, I'm known as the guy who has taught people how to have solo sex. Um, And the thing is, a lot of these people were already engaging in solo sexual activity. So
0: how did you help them?
1: (laughs) Exactly. So the topography, the way that it looked, um, needed to be shifted because they were not being efficacious. What is so? (laughs) For instance... Like uh, effective at masturbating? What do you mean? uh, For instance... uh, up to documented 16 hours in a day attempting to achieve ejaculation, um, okay. hurting oneself attempting to achieve ejaculation, mm-hmm. um, things like that, where I go in and if the person has the cognitive level to um, understand appreciating other parts of their bodies and other sensations, I try and teach that. Mm-hmm. Um, if the person does not have that, then I look more at, okay, here's what you're doing, um, you're putting your penis in this uh, you're obviously seeking warmth um, so, are they putting it... it where are they putting it, <laughs> so for instance hot oatmeal, um, oh no ouch, uh, it's not too hot. a toaster um, oh, so okay, so going in and, uh, and finding something that is appropriate and when I thinking see. about the fact that I, I do a lot of work with people with intellectual disability, autism down syndrome, um, cerebral palsy a lot of these people are in facilitated living environments and don't don't have mm. access to sexual education um, or oh. to sexual release. Um, sometimes they have a, a door open policy with line of sight. So staff is to watch them 24 7. But that doesn't give me any privacy to really it have a masturbation life. It does not. And so then ah. people say, well, why is this client trying to rape people? Well, he doesn't have the ability to touch himself. So he's going to try and touch others. Oh. Um, so there's a lot of this kind of thing going on. So where,
0: understanding the motives like really you just want to feel sexual and warm or different people different different sensations um, but giving them a space like it sounds like you're looking at the whole context of the situation too to see like what, what really is the need here and how can we offer in a way that's Safe. <laughs> yes. Uh, right. That was a long dive, dive for that. It's like, let me think so, about this. Safety. Uh, right. It's safety.
1: Safety is what it oftentimes comes down to. Um, I wish that every intervention that I could do could be more about just pleasure, but safety is oftentimes why people end up coming to my office. I see.
0: Well, yeah, because if you, you know, and vulnerable populations, um, you know, sometimes there's not an awareness of like the social cues, what's acceptable or not acceptable. And so, like you said, sometimes they'll be acting out in ways that are inappropriate or unsafe, so to speak, but it's not, um, it's not necessarily intentional.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we hold people with disabilities under this incredible microscope where we expect them to behave better than we do. It's Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you know, you should not curse in public you should you should never uh aggress on others you should not do all of these things they, they are taught to be these perfect little versions of what their parents might have wanted but they're adults oh wow. and so i go in there and i'm like okay what here is mom and dad forcing you to do it or uh or a funder who is saying that this is what you have to do mm-hmm. and what is it that you want and I try and come up with a middle ground that makes everyone happy, but really when it comes down to it, the client is who I care about. Yeah. Um, and I have had parents fire me mm-hmm. or tell me how horrible I am. How dare <laughs> you
0: want them to have pleasure,
1: you jerk! It, it's happened, <laughs> but at the same time, what I will say is that the majority of parents that I've worked with have had a very open mind. Mm-hmm. Um Oftentimes, staff that I work with are just so grateful to have somebody who ha- has the comfort level to work with this population and do, uh, you know. Any form of sexual therapy with them, whether it's in the form of applied behavior analysis, which is not sex therapy, um, is not mentalistic at all or uh, gets into the more subjective components or, you know, even just advice from a sex therapist getting into those more mentalistic and subjective Mm -hmm. components that really do make up a large part of the human experience.
0: So when you were here last time, this is actually Nicholas, Nicholas, your second time. I had to sing it. I just had to. This is your second time on my show. The first time you came on, we said professional wingman. And so I'm curious about this. You know, for those who like this might be the first time they've been introduced to you. How are you a professional wingman in uh, the world of autism or even HIV?
1: Because I hear that's a part of something you want to talk about too. Absolutely. So um, so I will actually work with my clients Um when they have uh, desires to have relationships, I look at like, what is it that the person um, is has as a barrier? And oftentimes, especially with autism, <clears throat> excuse me, a barrier, like you said, is social cues. Um, a lot of my guys don't seem to know the difference when they first come to me between flirting and harassment. Uh-huh. Right. They've seen stuff on TV. This is what it should look like. Um, they've seen stuff in porn. This is obviously what women want.
0: You know what? I feel like every man should be getting this kind of like well, the difference between harassment and flirting is kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah. Which, <laughs> by of. the way, you don't have to have autism to come with me and uh, and learn about that at my agency. <laughs> I don't so, just you focus know, on autism. <laughs> um, yeah. Of so, course. So um, in teaching the difference between flirting versus harassment, um, I usually start with like visual representations and breaking it down, like in this media, um, you know, what is he doing wrong? What is he doing right? What could he be doing differently? Mm-hmm. How is she feeling? Um, and then as we start going into it, um, and of course, it's is a very heteronormative script right now, but that is the majority of my clientele. Um, I, I prefer um, to work with a broad variety of clientele, but... Obviously, I'm going to take who comes to me. And for the most part right now, it is um, young men with autism. So uh, we look at, you know, how how is the woman reacting? We kind of get all that figured out. And then I start to bring in real women. Okay, um, And people are like, wait, what? what's going to happen? <laughs> Do they just walk into the office? So you I've keep actually, them in the back? <laughs> I've actually, um, I've spoken at uh, St. Louis University about this because um, what I'm doing is based in research um, where researchers said, hey, you know, what's really lacking in um, in sexuality education is natural environment probes, um, going out, seeing if they're actually able to use the skills. So yeah. first we start teaching them to use the skills in facilitated role plays. In my office. And so any of the people that they would be role playing with, now, if it was a gay client, he'd be role playing with a male, obviously. Um, but anybody that they're role playing with is a HIPAA trained actor mm-hmm. or actress. Um, and Typically, they work at my agency. Every now and then, um, somebody has a very particular thing that they are attracted to, and Mm -hmm. nobody at my agency will fit that bill. So then I will find somebody who can work with me. I'll get them HIPAA trained, and all they work with me on is the role plays. They actually are not part of the the treatment. They don't know the client's whole history. They don't know the client's. Mm -hmm. It's not their business. Their business is just to help me facilitate the role plays.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, After we have success in the role plays... We move into the natural environment, and then where they
0: actually have to go on a date.
1: Yes, <laughs> and in the natural environment, um, which that's nerve wracking for anyone. I can speak from a experience. <laughs> it's like holy shit. <laughs> so first, I help them with flirting, right? Because I have to get somebody who's I can't just give them a date, right? They have to. They, they have to have actually to, go out there and do flirt, the Either to do it online or they meet people in public somehow. Yes. So regardless of whether they're doing it <laughs> online or in person, I go and I assist them. Um, and so I just kind of. Um, uh, I don't know if you ever watched How, How I Met Your Mother of um, course I did okay, we I pl- make references
0: in therapy we all the play time Have You
1: Met Ted right oh, so, okay. like, <laughs> so we go out there and I'm just kind of like I'll start talking with somebody get the client kind of close comfortable and then I find a reason to back away
0: okay um, that's a real wingman you actually go away fade off into the black while you guys do
1: your thing <laughs> and then I'm usually like at a table nearby or reading a book nearby and listening in and just making sure like that I can step over with a cover story if things go south. I'm imagining
0: them like with the earpiece like oh you my listening God, if in. I can
1: afford. <laughs> it's like,
0: say this right now, it'll work. If this was affordable, <laughs> yes, I would do you that. You know, I totally make references to that show all the time. I talk to clients about the Barney approach which is essentially just try all the time. You can reject, but it's okay. Like, it's about numbers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely, there's there's some
0: merit There's some merit, I mean, you know, like not with pressure But like, hey, if you're interested, I'm here, I like you, that sort of thing That's right <laughs> So anyhow, so you do, you watch in and you try to give them some guidance And, and help them essentially date Yes what's that, what's that like for you? Cause that's gotta be, this just sounds interesting. <laughs> when it works, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you feel the same sense of rejection if it doesn't work, don't you?
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say I feel a sense of rejection, but I definitely have to look at, you know, every variable, like, um, you know, what, what was leading up to it? Did she seem off, uh, at the start of the interaction? Um, uh, you know, what, um, if it doesn't go right, I also have to be looking at was information already exchanged. Um, even if it goes right, I have mm-hmm. to look at was information exchanged. What do you mean by that information? So, exchanged? for instance, I had a young man, um, and he, uh, I took him to a coffee house, and he hit on a young trans female, and uh, they were hitting it off really well, and. He, I made sure to just kind of like pull him aside um, and get coffee together and asked him like, are you aware that this person is trans and how do you feel about that? Are you comfortable with that? And he said, yeah. So I was like, awesome. Cool. So we moved forward and um, all three of us got in this really great conversation. I backed away and then the two of them had a great conversation. They ended up playing board games together it was really cool. And then he got her number. And a few days later, he hits me up and is asking me, you know, um, what do I do? She's threatening to press charges. And I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? And then he sends me this, uh, he sends me screenshots. And I see that he had sent her upwards of 20 texts in a row that started with like, hi, how are you? And ended with You know, a bunch of obscenities about the trans community and what a horrible person she was for not responding to him. Now, all of this transpired in a two hour time period Mm. while she was probably at work because this was between like 9 and 11 a.m. Oh, wow. So things like that where um, I have to really be on top of variables. (laughs) So then I had to come back in and I'm like, okay, well, now I know that this is a a potential barrier to you being able to date people. (laughs) So we had to go in and really address Mm -hmm. that. I also had to do damage control. Since he had her number, I had to get his permission to contact her and with his permission explain the situation a little bit so that she did not press charges. Well,
0: I mean, but even thinking about this, I mean, think of just how difficult it must be. So like I've started ever since our last podcast when you mentioned this study of like this is the difference between harassment and texting versus um so the two message rule. Two message rule. Tell the two message rule first and then I'll tell my story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like you guys need to know this. It's a thing. <laughs> so it's the two message rule. Um it's it's a nice concrete thing and uh it works well regardless of um, what population you're working with. If you send a message, awesome, you've sent a message. Wait for a response. If you don't (laughs) wait, right? If you don't get a response and you feel like, hey, maybe this person just didn't get my message or something like that, it's okay to send a second. But from there, if that person has not responded to you and you've sent two messages, they're either busy and they'll get back to you when they can, or They simply do not want to talk to you, and you need to respect that because we respect people's consent. Mm -hmm. Um, So the two-message rule, if you don't hear back from somebody after two messages, you wait or move on.
0: So the interesting thing, ever since I heard that rule, I've been paying attention to it in my (laughs) sessions with clients, and I realized— like, so people will send these long, flooding messages of texts, and it doesn't matter what, you know, like whether the population is autistic or not. But when I see that happening on a regular basis, then I started to like, wait, what is going on here? And I've like started to text, I'm like, oh, oh this person might be on the spectrum. Cause, you know, some people have been, you know, they're high functioning, for example, but it's been a while, they've never I, really. I was
1: 26 when I finally got a diagnosis.
0: So like, yeah, it's only been more recently that we've gotten the research out that people know what's what, and you can be very high-functioning. You're obviously a very (laughs) high-functioning, would you say autistic or Asperger? Because I know that they've redefined it actually some too. At this point, spectrumite.
1: Spectrumite? Yes. (laughs) I got that from a local uh, autism activist, uh, Twink. She, oh, wow. she calls them spectrumites. And at first, we actually butted heads. Go, go figure, two people on the spectrum butting heads. Of course you would. Uh, so we butted heads on that for a while, and I was like, that's offensive. And Whoa. and over some time, um, I came to realize that no matter uh, which uh, term for <laughs> autism it is, uh, because a lot of us do kind of form constructs and identities mm-hmm. around who we are, we um, It doesn't matter which term you use, you're going to upset some people. I see. Um, So I would say what's most important when addressing the autism population would be to have respect. um, And if they request that you call them something else, Mm -hmm. understand that it might be based in a construct of meaning Mm -hmm. that's very important to them. And so I would call them what they prefer.
0: Well, and I would, uh, you know, everything he says brings up something for me. I'm like, yeah, like that's part of why therapists were so careful with our words because words do have meaning and there's, there, there's a lot of value placed on that, but it's just been interesting since then because I'll, and I'm very delicate in how I bring it up because, because there's a lot of weight to what that means for people. Right. But, now every time when I do it'll be in this form of like hey you know has anybody ever mentioned that this might that you might fall potentially on the spectrum I, I, I'm just curious and it's it's surprising to me how often when I see that particular thing <laughs> like 50 messages in a two-hour period when somebody was busy it's like, Interesting. Now, I'm not saying that you can't just have a good fight too, because people do. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Well, and and everybody on the spectrum is on their own place on the spectrum. So, of course. You know, um, w- what I do, uh, I actually have a book. All cats have Aspergers that uh, that, that I keep cute. in my uh, in my session room. And when uh, well, in one of my session rooms, and when clients come in that I think have at least some overlap of, of mm-hmm. autism traits, it's not my place to diagnose. Behavior analysts can't yeah. offer diagnoses. Um, I'm getting my second uh, master now in MAMFT so awesome. once I'm in LMFT I'll be able to diagnose certain things but um, no diagnostics within ABA so, when somebody has um, what appears to be uh, mm-hmm. some overlap with autism, I'll gently just kind of leave that book in there near them. Oh, so they can just like... I let them
0: start looking through it. it
1: themselves. Um, and if nothing else, uh, mm-hmm. that book is a really nice way to relate their behavior and normalize their behavior. Um, and I've actually had one couple um, just in for sex therapy, both neurotypical, um, but he had some sensory issues. Oh. And so, I was like... You now, let's see what happens. So I I left that book with them for a little bit and uh, they came back into session um, the next time and I asked, you know, so what was it like reading over that book? Because I know you guys looked at it and uh, <laughs> and they were like, oh my gosh, so many things have been brought up and like, we're thinking about maybe getting him him tested to see if he's an adult on the spectrum, but either way, mm-hmm. I feel like I understand him so much more. And exactly. I was like, there we go. That's that's what I'm shooting for. Whether you get a diagnosis or not, I want, I want a couple certainly to understand each other.
0: Well, because one thing I've noticed for people, I like your spectrumite words, so I'll use that for now, but- People, people who are spectrumites, they often are confused and, and they have a lot of empathy and caring, but there's just, they're going into these social situations that are very, like, things will happen and people will respond in ways they weren't prepared for. And it's just a lot of confusion and like, like not knowing what to do. And I, I when you understand each other better, then suddenly you can adjust the way you're behaving. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, this isn't you being a jerk to me, or this isn't you not caring about my opinion or feelings. It's,
1: you don't understand this. This is like
0: completely different.
1: <laughs> right. Um, I've been incorporating a lot of uh, love languages mm-hmm. and um, also uh, acceptance commitment therapy, um, oh, yeah. ACT Mindfulness. Um, I feel like ACT Mindfulness helps people um, sort of break down the rigidity mm-hmm. of their thinking. Um kind of uh, helps form new constructs and make the constructs that do form um, be a little bit more fluid. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then by enhancing people's awareness of love languages, um, you know, functional communication, um, making sure that uh, if the husband has done something uh, that his other husband is not recognizing, uh, but he's like, my God, I'm trying so hard. And his other husband's like, he doesn't love me at all. He spends no time with me. Uh, (laughs) And so I'm like, wait a minute. So you like to clean the house as a way of showing your love. Yeah. And you like to spend time together as a way of showing it. Could you help him with the chores, please? I know. We can do (laughs) it together as a team. (laughs) Like, here we go. I think you might have found your your fix here. I think we found
0: some. No, that's a great idea. Well, so I did want to get into – HIV, because I think yes. that's really important, um, and that's something you're doing with ABA applied behavior analysis as well. Would you yes. go into that a little bit? So,
1: um, uh, oftentimes when people think of applied behavior analysis, they they go straight towards <clears throat> autism. And while it is incredibly affected with autism, it was not developed for autism. I know it's a shocker. What? A lot of people are like, "What, what was it ABA for? was not developed for <laughs> autism." Um, ABA initially uh, I mean if you really look at, at, at how it's progressed I mean it, it started with Skinner's rats, right um, uh, so <laughs> it's for rats no it's <laughs> no, not for rats not, uh, from rats <laughs> but behavior is behavior um, okay and so that's that's something to really note uh, so applied behavior analysis was developed over many 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 uh, generations to um, be applicable towards behavior in general. And then um, okay. different behavior analysts will specialize in different areas of behavior. You know, you can specialize in animal behavior. You can specialize in organizational behavior management. You can specialize in autism, which is where most do go these days.
0: But essentially, it's like, why do people do what they do? And how do we get them to change in the way they want to change? Exactly. That's, okay, that's cool. all ABA is,
1: regardless <laughs> of the population. It's it's operant conditioning. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's environmental variables being manipulated um, and adjusted so that um, you can achieve the goals that you want um, and so it's very applicable to HIV um, one of the first studies I ever read about uh, applied behavior analysis happened in Anchorage, Alaska in the early 80s. Um, I can't remember the exact year. I want to say 81, but uh, don't quote me on that. Uh, we're quoting so- him, and he's going to get in so <laughs> much trouble. So, no, there, there was this study done um, in gay bars. Okay. Where, uh, you know, obviously early 80s, we're looking at the essential black plague of the 80s, right? Yeah, Uh, of course. HIV was just killing off people rampantly. At the time, they were calling it GRID, Gay-Related Immunodeficiency Mm. um, Disorder. Uh, So... uh, what they were calling grid was just killing tons of people so um, behavior analysts at the University of Alaska Anchorage um, the students uh, and their professors came up with this little intervention to do and I thought this was so neat mm-hmm. um, and I'm from Anchorage so no, like, I didn't know that so and I attended University of Alaska Anchorage so um, so I was just like that's how you know I connected with the study but um, they put uh, posters up, Next to, they had these open bowls of condoms um, at the gay bars, and those had already been there. Okay, so they were able to do a baseline assessment. And in ABA, we're nerds, mm-hmm. so we want to get that baseline data. Like, and how make many people sure touch this bowl just we, on a
0: regular basis? We want to
1: make sure that when we <laughs> that when we see change, we can for sure say it was us. Right. Otherwise, it's unethical for us to take your money. Uh, (laughs) Wow. That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure. Uh, So in this case, of course, it was a a research grant. So they weren't taking money from the bar patrons. Um, But either way, getting a baseline measure, what they noted was almost nobody was touching these condoms. Right. Um, They knew that HIV was existing and they knew that it was kicking butt in the in the gay population. But still, people were not grabbing Mm -hmm. condoms. And I mean, this was a new behavior to train the gay community in. Let's talk for a second about normative behavior. What's normative behavior in the gay community is very different Mm -hmm. from what is normative behavior in the straight community.
0: Well, and be fair. I mean, a lot of people have a big... I mean, they put up a big fight about condoms. I was talking earlier today about, like, how do we make condoms sexy so people want to use them? Because right. everybody's like, I want a bareback it It's like, that's great.
1: I know. <laughs> it's going to be safety. It's really, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a thing. You know, thing. people like it. Um, it's
0: okay. <laughs> so, and,
1: well, and it was really, it was the thing in the gay community uh, before HIV. And it's coming back really hard uh, again now because of, you know, PrEP and and uh, better medicines and people fearing HIV less. Just um, so you know, PrEP is a medicine for HIV. Just put it in there. Put your plug. Put your plug. I was going to explain that. Uh, So, yeah, uh, PrEP, um, which is typically called Truvada, Mm -hmm. um, is a medicine that can be taken once daily uh, to prevent uh, HIV from actually taking hold in your system. So, if you're dating somebody who is positive and you are negative, uh, you can take PrEP. Um, If you are sexually (laughs) active at all, it might be a good idea to take prep. Yeah, it just as a preventive measure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh there are side effects. It can make you nauseous and it also does create bone density loss. Okay. Um, over prolonged use, but uh at the same time, um, it can prevent you from getting HIV. So that's a pretty cool thing. Pros and cons. Right, pros and cons. Um <laughs> so uh anyway, in the study, they um uh, they found that. Uh, Nobody was taking these condoms, so they put posters up above them, Mm -hmm. and the posters uh, depicted what happens when you have AIDS-related wasting, and sure enough- the condoms started getting taken <laughs> and so without having to provide anyone direct therapy this was um, conditioning that was done uh, through um, environmental manipulation right um, we see a stimulus the stimulus uh, used to just be a, a bowl of condoms and F that well now it's a bowl of condoms and a consequence for if I don't use these condoms oh, yeah. so now the stimulus your choice, has young changed, friend, and now my behavior <laughs> changes to fit the new stimulus right um, so So they were not able, and again, this is the difference that you'll find with ABA and other therapies. Uh, In the context of that study, people might say, oh, wow, they were successful. They got people to use more condoms. They didn't claim that. They said, we have absolutely no way to know whether these condoms were used as uh, novelty items or taken just out of peer pressure or if people threw them away later. Um, Mm -hmm. What we do know is that we increased the rate at which people will grab Condoms.
0: That's so interesting. But, like, I've heard that a similar study done for like hospital workers that people are supposed to wash their hands. Um, and everybody knows that logically, but the doctors were not washing their hands. So they made them do this thing when they came into one of the meetings where they took like a swab of their hands to check out the germs. And so then what they did on their computers is put a screensaver of how nasty their hands <laughs> looked. So every time they went in to do a note, they saw how dirty their hands were. And really it, it did smart. increase hand washing. But it's it's weird. Human behavior, we, we think we know what changes behavior, but we're often wrong, which is why we need like wild researchers who are like, no, we have to know for <laughs> sure. Is this really working or not? Because human behavior is pretty freaking strange. It is. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's be, fun. That's why we love it so
1: much. <laughs> right. It is. Uh, it is a lot of fun. I enjoy being a behavior analyst. Um, so what do you do to help people in the HIV community? So. Uh, not only do I run um, a support group, which I do want to get into because I think we have a really unique support group, um, okay. but also uh, as somebody who's HIV positive myself, um, I feel like uh, obviously I can't speak For an HIV client who comes in, I don't want to say that our experiences are the same, but I can connect with them on a level that I think a lot of other therapists might not. Mm -hmm. Um, When they tell me what they're going through, some of it I've been through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've actually hit um, my T cell count at its lowest was 199. Uh, Which for people who are unaware, if you hit 200, uh, if you go under 200, you technically have AIDS. Um, So I like skimmed the surface of AIDS. Mm. um, And because of that, um, I had uh, muscle loss. I had um, lesions all over my legs. I was passing out. um, I was throwing up all the time. um, Diarrhea constantly for about six months. Oh, wow. Um, So that was 10 years ago. Um, but in that time, uh, I've had to change a lot of my own behavior mm-hmm. and, uh, it was really slow going until I got into an ABA program and mm-hmm. started learning more about, uh, human behavior and about like what I could do for myself. Mm-hmm. So I started to implement a lot of things as I was going through my schooling. Um, and those things are now, um, things that I have written in as, um, I I call them, uh, and this is something my behavior analyst friends, please hear me out through the end of this. Uh, I call it a generic treatment plan uh, template. Now, it is not uh, going to be that way when I use it with a client. Yeah, you will individualize it to the client. <laughs> it will client, be incredibly but individualized. But there are some maybe
0: basic things that are included that probably a lot of people Absolutely. need. I understand um, what you so, mean. So <laughs> I'm not going to hold it against Joe. So <laughs> it's uh,
1: you know, there's things that I'm looking at, including um, I'm looking at behaviors surrounding diet. Okay. Uh, how often is the client getting? water. Um, For instance, right here, I have uh, a 20-ounce coffee. Um, I know better than to fill it up because I know if I drink a 20-ounce coffee, it's going to make me feel sick. Um, I used to be able to drink a 20-ounce coffee. I know better than to do that now because about three hours from now, I'm going to have an effect from this coffee. Mm -hmm. So the more I drink, the stronger the effect. I also know to make sure that I drink a glass of water before and Mm -hmm. after my coffee because it will reduce the effect. Um, So these are things that like, I look at the biopsychosocial, you know, the whole model um, and I try and incorporate those. So diet, um, sleep, uh, what are their sleep behaviors, you know, um, what is their routine? Uh, A lot of people with HIV have a hard time sleeping. Not only do we have anxiety about the fact that we have HIV uh, it comes you know, with the territory. Right? <laughs> uh, that's there. <laughs> um, that's natural. You know, you, you get a, a, a lump or a flu and suddenly you're like, you're scared. It happens. Um, but on top of that, the medicines that we take actually give us insomnia and anxiety. Oh, well, that's Uh, great. (laughs) It's super fun. Um, The medicines that we take are are pretty rough. They say they've gotten so much better, and it's true they have, but that doesn't mean that they're good. Um, (laughs) They could do some improving. (laughs) Well, and let's see, I mean, even talking
0: about anxiety, like it's this you're almost trying to not have anxiety, and like that almost makes it
1: worse, you know? (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about that for a moment. Getting anxiety (laughs) about what happens when two therapists talk to each
0: other, like, let's talk about that.
1: (laughs) Go on. Anxiety so, about anxiety, anxiety and how it like it cripples yourself. It does. Uh, <laughs> so that's something that I look at. And of course, um, again, I've brought up how uh, ABA and acceptance and commitment therapy act. Uh, they work well together. So I do incorporate ACT into any work that I'm doing with HIV, whether it's my group, whether it's myself, whether it's a client. Um, ACT is really important because we can't change it. We have to accept it. Um, we have to commit ourselves to mm-hmm. actions that are going to be goal-oriented and get us towards what we want to do. To be in life; otherwise, this will become who and what we are.
0: I want to say one thing that's very simplistic, but it's kind of the message: it's okay to not be okay.
1: It is okay to not be okay. Yep. if you're not happy, you're normal. That's what a quote you're from a human Russ being. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't claim that that's my own. <laughs> no, but you know um, what I mean. It's like that. It, the acceptance
0: thing is kind of about like. You know, so a lot of therapy, it's funny because you're talking about behavior change. and so it's like, how do we change all these behaviors? But there still has to be this counterbalance of and sometimes you're not okay.
1: That's and right. That's okay. And so, um so <laughs> instead of t- teaching people to to um to cope per se, I teach mm-hmm. I, I like to say I'm teaching people to survive. Um, it's it's not, uh, you know, let me take some deep breaths and and try and, for a minute, forget about my problems. No. Because l- they're still
0: there. Your
1: problems are still there, and as soon as you're done breathing, they're going to come right back and they're slap you like, in the face. are like, fuck you, bitch. I'm so right here. Are you, <laughs> you going to spend your entire day doing deep breaths? And I have had clients who have come to me who literally just balls of anxiety spending all day trying to engage in coping mechanisms so that they feel less anxious and I'm watching them engage in their coping mechanisms because I got to take baseline so I'm like okay let's see how this works and I'm watching them and I'm thinking to myself oh my god I want to intervene so bad but I got to take that baseline measure just take some time watch you have to be okay not being okay with Uh, them there's a whole okay thing going on this is really exhausting I'm being mindful about the fact that I'm not allowed to intervene during that first session while I'm watching them you know hurt themselves essentially while trying to help themselves. But you've got to have Um, your
0: baseline so that you really can help, so I understand.
1: (laughs) Um, And if anything were to be truly harmful, obviously I would intervene. Um, You know, deep breathing is... is anxiety-inducing for a lot of people, so I say it's hurting them, but they're not, like, stabbing themselves. All right, so Uh, this is a bunny trail to get back to HIV. Yeah, so uh, to get back to HIV, yes. Yes, Um, on the bunny trail. Sorry, autism, (laughs) I go flying. Uh, (laughs) We have so much to say,
0: but how you're helping
1: people in the HIV community. with HIV, teaching teaching mindfulness, though, really is at the heart of a lot of my intervention. Um, So getting people to... um, to take those uh, value-oriented and goal-oriented actions, right? Mm -hmm. Committed action. You have to have goals. That's true. When they come in right after HIV diagnosis, usually there's no goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, If there is a goal, it's to feel better. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, well, you got to do stuff to feel better. Like, if your goal is to feel better, we need a lot more work here. Um, so to not
0: feel like this, right? So,
1: um, so we try and come up with uh, tangible goals. Now, this this is a nice overlap between sex therapy and ABA. Is if you look at like solution focused brief therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, operational definitions of behaviors. Um, How are we going to hit that goal? At which Mm -hmm. point are we going to say that this goal has been met, right? So there's a beautiful overlap between sex therapy and ABA if you look at solution-focused brief therapy. Um, So in developing goals, um, we're looking at goals of things that are uh, self-care oriented, obviously helping with the diet, helping with the sleep, learning to manage anxiety in a way where you actually appreciate it. I teach like my you clients. Appreciate anxiety. I teach my clients to think their anxiety.
0: Hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm going to spend a
1: lot
0: you don't have to explain it all I'm just like what am I but it is like it's a motivator right like I can think already like anxiety motivates people to
1: do things it's there for a reason it evolved right Mm -hmm. it evolved Um, it it gave us the fight or flight method Um, they
0: were cheetahs in history we did have to run (laughs) it's a thing (laughs)
1: Um, and well and now we have these supercomputers for brains and so I I remind my clients that your supercomputer it just doesn't doesn't have the off switch that we necessarily want and we don't live in a world where we're constantly being chased by predators so anxiety has to find new functions and
0: it feels that way though even though the cougar's because, not there because
1: anxiety <laughs> is finding new ways to freak us out right you're saying my
0: anxiety is so intelligent it just has to be there so it's going to find new things to destroy me <laughs>
1: You're taking it to a dark place. I always um, take no. it to a dark place. <laughs> that's my way. No, but, but this is valid. So I do hear these things in the, in the room. So I, I'm willing mm-hmm. to address that. Um, so anxiety developed um, to help us move forward, right? And now our brains are so developed that uh, anxiety functions very well as a process in the background. Okay. And that's actually why it's constantly running. It's supposed to be in the background until it is necessary in the foreground.
0: Needed. I gotcha. We just
1: haven't learned the average person, how to recognize when we're allowed to let it hang out and do its thing over here... (laughs) <laughs> and then to thank it for doing its thing, like when I have this thought that comes in that says, "Oh my gosh, you have HIV, and you, you know, you shouldn't be having that um, that drink of alcohol that you're having right now." And that is true. I probably shouldn't be drinking alcohol with HIV. But you know mm-hmm. what? Every now and then I'm gonna. And am I gonna <laughs> so take that it, anxiety? <laughs> right? Am I gonna let my anxiety ruin my good time? No. So when that happens, I thank my brain. Thank you for letting me have this thought. Obviously, you care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You care. (laughs) I think that's really cool that you do. But you're not necessary right now. So I'm going to just let you kind of pass through me. And you're going to hang out over here. And whenever you come back, that's fine. When you come back and you have something useful to say, I'm going to pay attention to you.
0: But the interesting thing about that is that I think when people feel anxiety, there's two responses people have, okay? It's either avoidance, I don't wanna feel this, I don't wanna feel this, I'm trying to avoid it, or they try to control every factor associated with the feeling.
1: And this is the third path. This is letting is a it pass through you.
0: It's acknowledging it and saying, hey, yes. I see you're there. It's totally cool. And I'm still going to do what's right for me right now.
1: That's right. So mm-hmm. I'm not running from it. And I'm also not pinpointing on it. I'm letting it run in the background. This is so mindfulness. <laughs> it is. It is <laughs> mindfulness. That is that is why I said it's at the heart of a lot of my uh, HIV interventions. Um, so... Uh, it, can I get into my support group please do I, there's I really so do. much good information I'm like oh wow we're already getting towards the end here but like this yeah, just, I, I, tell I, I about sure your I support talk, group please uh, so, do so my support group uh, positive <laughs> we're actually we're meeting tomorrow um, we meet uh, the first and third Tuesday night of every month um, first Tuesday night is at um, Empowered a center for sexuality in Clayton the third Tuesday night is at the Pride Center on um, uh, Shudo okay And um, the uh, event always lasts from 7 to 8.30. It's an hour and a half. We call it positive. And um, when people attend, um, we make sure that they're aware that this is a safe space um, for you to be an adult, Uh, to feel sexy or depressed, whatever it is that you feel, bring it in. Um, And it is a safe place to talk about your habits. No one Mm -hmm. is there to turn you in for anything or anything like that. Um, We... Also really make sure upfront that people recognize it's not just a group for people with HIV. It's also a group for their partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really important to note in St. Louis because um, especially in our gay population, when one in four individuals has HIV, Uh, that means that there's a lot of blended relationships Mm -hmm. where one person has it, one person does not. And so most HIV support groups will only let the partner who's positive come attend, whereas we let both partners attend. Um, We also... Hit the heavy, because every support group's got to hit the heavy. (laughs) (laughs) We hit the heavy pretty early on. I usually start with um, something that is a little neutral. We talk about, you know, whatever the new uh, research is or any new types of medicines that have come out. Um, We hit the heavy. What are you guys going through? Let's talk about it as a group. We get through the heavy, um, and then after that, we usually spend about the last 45 minutes engaged in gameplay. Okay. And our games, we, I go and I buy adult games and we play adult games and people are like, oh my gosh, you know, like, I don't know a support group where you're playing Dirty Minds. Why not? Uh, you're playing Cards Against Humanity at your support <laughs> group. Like that's, it's going to have offensive <clears throat> things. And I'm like, but you know, a lot of the people who have come to our support group have not had fun Fun." They yeah. have not felt like sexual beings since their diagnosis. They have not addressed sexuality from a fun standpoint in a long time. And so we do things like we do uh, LGBTQIA Jeopardy, and oh my gosh, that can get raunchy that's sometimes. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> we wonderful. Uh, we did a, a kink segment that was beautiful um so one
0: question is it open to anyone in the lgbtqi community or is it it is open to
1: anyone okay absolutely anyone um we have had uh people of any background come um and so that's that is very important um it's not open to somebody who is negative and hoping to learn more about hiv that we're not there for um we're not there to be a spectacle But uh, we have a lot of fun. Um, We even did dildo tossing one day. (laughs) So I have, you know, suction cup dildos at the office and uh, we were seeing who could throw them and get them stuck the highest and the person who got it the highest got a two liter bottle of soda. I love it. I could Um, see like a
0: relay race being done, you know.
1: Oh my gosh, I need more (laughs) room. Pass the
0: dildo or something. Maybe on a day when we're at the Pride Center. My
1: office isn't big enough for
0: that. (laughs) Uh, But you know, like I think you're speaking to really important needs that everybody has a need to not only share emotionally what they're going through, but also the need to have fun and to like just be a person
1: sometimes we built uh, a community and that's Mm -hmm. something that that I really want to point out is um, a a good support group if you look back at the recovery model Mm -hmm. right a good support group uh, the therapist recognizes that they do not they're not the experts clients as experts I happen to be one of my clients in my own support group, which is mm-hmm. kind of fun because uh, I get to play both roles. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> uh, but I definitely recognize um, in that context, in that context, that um, each person bring strengths into mm-hmm. the group and those strengths are sometimes quelled during the heavy moments when mm-hmm. when somebody doesn't necessarily want to talk because things are heavy and then we get into gameplay and they're supporting each other and laughing <laughs> and we're having a good time and afterwards people are, are messaging each other on Facebook and talking about meeting outside of my group yeah. and for the first time in a while people who have been stuck depressed at home are now out getting engaged You have friends in a community Yes, kind of a big absolutely. deal. Absolutely, and it's crazy that um, that we don't have a larger uh, kind of integrated uh, community of people with HIV working together, because St. Louis has such a huge HIV population. But I think the stigma still keeps a lot of people mm-hmm. kind of from being open about it. And uh, our group is completely confidential. We advertise it on Facebook, but nobody ever has to <laughs> put that they're going. Um, you can just show up. Um,
0: so. Well, and you'll have we'll have the links on the on the podcast uh, <laughs> to that you you added that as well. Well, yes. so Nicholas, as always, thank you for coming on the show. You always offer such interesting <laughs> stories and like insights into everything. And so, I guess if there's any final things you want to plug, now's your time to plug them.
1: Okay, <laughs> all uh, your all your little links. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, what I would like to say is that um, uh, HIV um, is not. Uh, approved by Insurance for Applied Behavior Analysis Services. And if anybody listening to this cares about people with HIV and wants them to have access to a therapy service that is... uh, backed by a lot of science and is very, very appropriate for the HIV population, we need to be lobbying and writing um, our legislators to make sure that HIV is included in the list of disabilities Mm -hmm. that um, ABA gets covered for. Because ABA is an intensive therapy with more hours usually than uh, traditional therapies, insurance doesn't want to cover it unless they have to. Mm-hmm. So, because
0: you actually are going to do a good job, and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> that's going to cost us money."
1: <laughs> and well, and and Mo Health Net too, uh, Medicaid. Um, yeah. Does everybody has mm. taken the stance? The funders have taken the stance that ABA is for autism, and the pro- the problem with that, if you look at the Mental Health Parity Act, it very specifically says that no mental health service developed uh, can be pinpointed to a particular population for which it was not specifically developed, which means that when Medicaid and all of these insurances are saying no to my clients with HIV, that's technically federally based, it's federally illegal discrimination, Mm -hmm. Um, but the state is backing it. And so that's that's something that, again, we need to be lobbying because there's already federal mandates that say Mm -hmm. that this should be available. And with the Ryan White Act here in Missouri, HIV care is free, so they could have access to ABA intensive therapy for free if it could get covered. Mm. And that's just, that's that's my big mission right now. So I'm sorry if I seem preachy no, on the soapbox, no, but she just gave me a, a platform. I did. I did <laughs> give you a platform. That's why I bring you
0: in. Well, and then tell them the website, of course,
1: again, so that they know. Of course. Um, so our website is www.empoweredcenter, all one word. empoweredcenter.com and we can be found at facebook.com slash empowered center STL thank you Nicholas and then of
0: course um, you have been listening to www.aboutsexpodcast.com if you want to visit me as a therapist it's therapist in com. you can also check out my books helping couples overcome infidelity or premarital counseling both are available at Amazon please feel free to email your questions to aboutsexpodcast at gmail.com and we may just answer them online I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. Stay kinky, St. Louis.